Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, it's probably the best place to start is uh, what movie about Moses is most prominent in your childhood? Got to be Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, because <laughs> that came out when I was a child. Somebody, really? uh, yeah, probably came out after. I am than y'all. Probably came out. I may be a little older than a child, but certainly the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon. But because a lot of the old, like Charlton Heston, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I do too. I've seen them, but like, they were pre, they were before my time. Like Ben Hur, that stuff. Yeah, I, we only had four channels. This is how much older I am than y'all. So we only had ABC, CBS, NBC, and TBS. And so on Sundays, it'd be Bible movies sometimes if the Braves weren't playing on TBS. So mm-hmm. that would be the only... Other than that, we would not necessarily watch Bible movies in my house growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah. We watch wrestling. <laughs> the one that came out Very a few spiritual. years ago uh, with Christian Bale playing Moses, uh, Gods and... I don't remember what it was I, called. You know, I, I never saw that one. What? No, I mean, as far as staying true to the story, they took plenty of license, uh-huh. but it's pretty epic <laughs> saga. So it gives you a really good – they did a really good job creating the world and the Egyptian empire and Pharaoh's power. They mm. did a pretty good job mm. with that, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, you know, talking about Moses, it's one of those stories that's kind of like um, – that's maybe one of the more well-known stories mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. And uh, did y'all grow up with uh, flannel graphs when you were kids? Like when they, you know, churches that, you know what that is? I do know. It's like a, so it's a, little, it's like a big uh, stand-up piece of how card. How you explain thick. that to somebody now? It's, like, it's, like <laughs> it's kind of like foam board that has flannel right. taped to it or like it stapled on it, stick right. to it. And then you would stick the characters on the flannel graph and that's so how they would tell like stories. Little, like a little almost puppet show and stuff. This was pre-overhead projectors. Oh, yeah. So um, anyway, a lot of those Old Testament stories like Moses and uh, Joseph and his coat and Noah and the ark, all that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes they have the illusion of being kind of kid stories, but when you go back and read them, like when we're talking about this week, there's a, there's so much in them that's not like a kid story. So we're talking about Moses encountering God at the burning bush, and um, he walks, he's he's out shepherding, you know, he walks by and he sees this bush that's burn, burning and not consumed, and it's it's an encounter with God. So uh, my first question is that that encounter that he has with God changes him forever. And I know from you, Pastor Joby, that 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 becomes a little bit of a type of how we want church to happen. And we want people to have an encounter with God when they come to 1122. So does anything from this story shape your desire for just a weekend church at 1122? Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up in the question that I think the thing that's going to change people is the presence of God in their lives, period. And uh, we talked about it last week in regards to the glory of God mm-hmm. being ultimate. Well, um, an encounter with the presence of God is how you experience the glory of God. So the preaching of His Word hopefully helps people encounter. Mm-hmm. The 
the singing hopefully helps people encounter him, the times of prayer and response at the end. I mean, that is ultimately what we're wanting and longing for. Right. Because what's crazy from the very, I mean, man, if you think about it, all of the Bible can be summed up with just these words, God with us. Mm. From the very beginning, man, in the garden, it's just God with his people. If you get to the very end, he will be our God, we'll be his children and wipe away every tear. Everything in between is God's pursuit of his people so that God would be with us Mm -hmm. for his glory. Mm -hmm. So that is the thing. And I was I was thinking about that, you know, that nothing Moses did made that happen. It was just something that was happening that God invited him into. Well, he was actually at a significant deficit. Mm-hmm. It's not even like Moses was at neutral. So right. part of what I love about the way Jeff wrote it in his song, I might get some of the words wrong, but it's something like Moses was just tending sheep, all washed up and half asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... Um, like I said in the sermon, Moses thought I'm disqualified mm-hmm. because of my past. Mm-hmm. I mean, for 40 years, he's been tending sheep, mm-hmm. and he's got murder. Like, he's a, he's a fugitive from the law. And now he's just like working for his father-in-law. He's got a terrible job. You know, there's nothing awesome about being a shepherd. We've talked about that a ton. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, like, like I'm God, there's no way God would want to spend any, like, speak to me, use me know me, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And, and a whole part of our church, man, being a movement for all people, is to address that thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many of, of folks that walk in here on a weekend and they think they're disqualified or that God, even if they believe that there is a God and that he's glorious and he spoke the stars into existence and all of that, that he would want to be with you mm-hmm. is a hard concept for people to get their heads around, particularly if they have a, a past that they're really ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything that... So one of the... Like you point out in the sermon, one of the most amazing things about this passage is how many excuses Moses is ready to just give to God mm-hmm. in an incredibly powerful encounter with God, he just starts saying, here's why all the reasons why it's not going to work. What comes to your mind in your own life? I mean, imagine God saying something to you like, hey, do this. What comes to your mind is the thing that's like, there's, man, no way. What, what, what's your disqualifier that comes to your mind? Go ahead. Please, here. sir. I want to see how honest we're going to be. You go first. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the thing when you guys were just talking about the resolve. Uh, Charles Martin actually writes about this in his second book. Uh, Not what if it's true, but they turn the world upside down. The spirit of resignation. Hmm. That just like fear is a spirit, that there is a spirit at work against the church of resignation. That you, 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 you hit some... Bumps in the road, and you and you have some what you perceive to be failures. You go through some sh- struggles, maybe some life grief, and you don't have the tools in the toolbox to grieve well. You just resign yourself to like n- n- normal, and your normal is not like faithful in the ordinary. Your normal is apathetic and stuck. And you just resign that I, that's just what it is, you know, and and the. And, um, you know, it's like 
you know that God's word says what God wants for your marriage, but mm-hmm. instead of digging in in the prescription of prayer and fasting and counseling and humility and honor and all, like instead of doing that, you just resign to struggle and you're tired of struggling against struggling. And so you just, you see what I'm saying? And that is a legit, in my opinion, there is a demonic element spirit at work against the church that knows which handles to pull of the flesh to get people into the, it just is what it is. And that, and that's a way of saying God can't, God's not going to prove himself through me or through my story to be who he really is, as though he's proved himself a thousand times all the way back to the burning bush, but not in my life. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And um, and so we see that all the time, man. It's like they're showing up and, you know, the, the, the people will show up and do like the routine things, but really like be resigned to living defeated in an area or in their whole life. And uh, so... The question on uh, what about your past that makes you feel unequipped? Um, I don't know that they're connected necessarily. I would say the thing that I generally makes me feel unequipped to do the things that that God called me to do um, or to walk in the roles that God has put in my life, whether that be as a pastor here or as a husband to my wife or... Um, for many years, it's less so now because I'm getting older, but there was an inexperience and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm too young and some of the stuff like I think Timothy complained to Paul about a little bit. Like I, I had that for sure, specifically in my role at the Church of 1122. Those were whispers. Um, but then there's, so there's like the ill-equipped to do the thing, but then there's like unfit for use. Like the whispers that, the spirit of condemnation mm-hmm. would lie, the unfit for use. I mean, that stuff goes back years and years and years into sins of poor decision-making when I was a teenager to dishonoring decision-making when I'm in college or after, you know, sins of the flesh, carnal, these, you know, it's the stuff you say all the time. It's like, if they only knew, then they would never. And it's, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm happy to talk about any of those things in specific, but this, the enemy's tricks, there's, they're not new. He just, it's the same thing on repeat. He just kind of comes at it with different angles. So, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but as far as feeling unequipped, it's very much a youthfulness, lack of wisdom, lack of experience. It's comparison often makes me feel unequipped. Mm-hmm. If I'm around people who are like super sharp or super smart, seem to have it all buttoned up and figured out, I'm like, I'll, th- I'll be like, man, you know what Pastor Joby really needs is that guy. <laughs> Britt's always trying to hire his replacement. <laughs> it's true, man. I am. I, mean, so I think about it all the time. Like, you know, what Vinky needs to flourish is a different, he needs a different person to work with that would actually be better. You know what I mean? I think of that stuff all the time. So anyway. Yeah, I think a danger in a passage like this coming from a somebody like me is that a lot of people could sit back, not know us, and be like, of course, Moses got used. He's Moses mm-hmm. because of 
you know, you, you already know the end of the story. And so they could look at guys like us on staff and be like, well, of course God would use a guy like you because, you know what I mean? And so a part of the reason I try to be as transparent as I am when I'm preaching is to let everybody know, man, I get the same whispers. Mm. So, bro, your question comes down to how I have treated people in the past, Mm. how I've treated some girls back in the day Mm. that haunts me, and then how I used and fought some dudes that just – I mean, that's the worst, man. I would, I would, like, try to destroy somebody, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit stronger or whatever, and 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 would just and and man. So when I say I get the whisper, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, who do you think you are? You gonna shepherd people? You used to kill sheep. Mm-hmm. What is? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You used to abuse them, and, that, mm-hmm. and so that's immediately where my mind goes. Mm-hmm. And, and in those two arenas, like, there's a bunch of, it's the weirdest thing, man. I'm the weirdest mix of ego and insecurity. Like, all the, <laughs> the worst. It's not like a good balance. Right. It's like the worst and the worst Play-Doh put together, and it makes that ugly brown, yeah. grayish color. Yeah. And fascinating that the longer, I, the longer I live and the longer I serve God and his church and the longer I'm married and like, I would think the longer I did it, the more confident I would become in my ability to do it. Like the longer I'm married to my wife, I would think I would get more confident at my ability to be a good husband to her. But it's actually weird. Most of the time it plays out the other way. Like the longer I serve in the role that I'm in here, like, I fight more insecurities now than I did in year one of doing the job. You know what I mean? And in year 15, 16 of marriage, it's like, I feel like I know less of what I'm doing. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I think there's some of that, like, God allows for some of this to happen, and some of it's a part of, like, us staying dependent on Him and not becoming overconfident in the flesh, or I don't know. So this isn't in the sermon at all, but, you know, we know the the life of Moses pretty well. Think about it, man. His successes did very little for him. Mm. I mean, the cry of his heart by the time, was it, 33? Mm -hmm. It's just, show me your glory. Mm -hmm. Bro, you parted the sea. You called out gnats and frogs, and, you know, you got powers on powers. Mm. You, but, and he's like, and the reason I bring it up is, you know, I think if 15 years ago you would have told us this is what we would be doing and the, and the successes of this church would be what they are, I think we would think that would be fully and finally satisfying. Mm-hmm. So it's back to your service question, though. The amount of people at our church has never, like, satisfied my soul. It's an encounter with the Spirit of God mm-hmm. in our services. That's what I'm. That's what I. I'm not just trying to create it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to experience myself. Mm-hmm. And it's that's it, man. It's the the presence of God is going to be the only thing that satisfies us. Yeah. And the thing I love about it here, over the last eight years, is that there's no sense of trying to manufacture a like trying to manipulate an environment whereby people would feel a thing. You know, Bonhoeffer talks about this in his Mm -hmm. book, Life Together, Strong Over the Week, where if you get a really strong 
core of people or person and they're eloquent, they can like convince people that they're experiencing a thing and manipulate an environment. You know what I mean? Versus like we know that Christ says if we exalt him through his word, he will draw men and women unto himself. Right. We know he says sing psalms, hymns, and heavenly songs and make those do our best to make those Christ centered in an order, a God honoring order of worship. Like so really what we're trying to do in our gathering specifically is to like take the the kindling or the directions that the Lord has given us in the New Testament, put all those things together and just see if he will light the fire in somebody's heart. Do mm. you know what I mean? And so much of it's just trying to keep the the logs together, hoping that God will light the spark in somebody's life, you know. And it's what I've always found interesting about that part where where God tells Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. He's been on that ground for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I I total like hopefully spirit filled speculation for the glory of God, but has he missed it? Do we miss it? Because one of the things I see happen often in our services is one guy seemingly, as much as you can tell from just, but I don't know, you can tell the tree by its fruit, right? Mm-hmm. One person seems to be encountering the present of the one true God, and another guy is just out to lunch missing the whole thing. And so may we be a people that if God chooses to speak to us, we would have ears to hear and mm-hmm. take off our shoes and listen. Yeah, he's got to turn aside to see it. You know, God... Mm-hmm displays something about his glory, and he says, I will turn aside to go and see this thing. Um, how, how are ego and insecurity connected to each other? I think it's all, it's all a, um, a lack of your Christ-centered identity. It's you not, it's me, I'm talking about me, not you. It's my not understanding the imputed righteousness of Christ, that I have been seated with him. It's that. It's me not knowing that I am a child of God and that this thing is up to me. Mm. It's all of that, man. It's it's uh, Romans 7, the clash of my flesh and the spirit. Mm. And it's a weird thing, man, because you put confidence in the flesh, mm. and then when it lets you down, then there's all these insecurities about who you are, and it's mm. just this, just these. I mean, it's, it is two sides of the same coin. I mean, yeah. the cockiest person in the room usually doesn't have an ego problem. Mm-hmm. It's usually just blazing insecurity, yeah. you know? Because yeah. the weirdest thing, man, is that this whole thing with 1122 has, has not done to me what I thought it would. I thought it would make me think I'm more awesome. It does the exact opposite. It, I mean, and that's, that's for, for real, man. It makes me think at any minute we should probably find my replacement because there's got to be other people out there that can do this better, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. The, um, you know, your ego, ego is, is probably technically your, se- your s- self image, mm-hmm. right? And then the two sides of the coin are pride and insecurity, like over realized, unself aware self image projection, which is pride. And then the underside of pride is insecurity, right? And and God, but insecurity is pride. Yeah. And so that it's it is pride at work in our life. It's just not the boasting pride, but it's still wrapped around the axle of self. Hmm. 
what is at the center of that is me. And this is very complex in the world we live in, even in the Christian world we live in, because there is, because we are in a self-esteem obsessed Mm -hmm. Mm. culture. And everything, including like God's voice in my life, seemingly is taught as indicative to how I feel about myself or what I think about myself. It is a self-esteem is at the center of all decision makings and all the filters that we've been given. And that's a really anti, it's not just, it is anti the gospel's prescription like the gospel Jesus says that self-denial is the call of following Christ mm-hmm. and I don't think that means the like way that's been over realized in church history where we've got people like flogging themselves right. and beating themselves to the flesh into submission and it's not a hatred of self mm-hmm. Kel- the best line is Keller saying humility is not thinking less of oneself it's thinking of oneself less and one day maybe i'll i'll preach this sermon but uh bernard of saint bernard of clairvaux mm. wrote a book called on loving it's like a little tract actually called on loving god and he talks about the four degrees of love and i could you know we could talk through all those but the the fourth one is a love of self for the sake of god meaning that i have as Jesus would say, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. I have learned to love that God loves me in a way that I don't – I'm not trying to protect anything. I'm not trying to promote anything. Mm-hmm. I love that Christ has imputed his righteousness to me and what he's up to in my life to the point of being able to forget mm-hmm. about my needs and wants and solely and wholly attend to what God wants. Mm-hmm. And that in that is my full and final joy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a bit conceptual, but there is a way to move past yourself into walking with God in the cool of the day, Mm -hmm. kind of presence of God. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, because Moses eventually, I would describe him later in his life, a man of great humility and great confidence. Mm -hmm. And he is the opposite of those things. In this first true encounter. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a man of great arrogance. He's like, how dare you pick on one of my brothers and kills a man? Mm -hmm. And and a great, and a man of of total insecurity in the fact that at one point he literally says, you have the wrong man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I listed it as an excuse, but that's just like, I think you've got the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. But later on, man, he leads like a boss, you know? Right. I thought of that when you were were talking about or in the sermon, you say, God is saying to Moses, it's not about you, because all the reasons that he gives are, Moses gives every reason why Moses isn't great. Correct. God gives every reason why God is great. Correct. Yeah. He's like, I'm not calling you Moses so that you can go show Egypt how great Moses is. Right. I'm calling you so that you can go display me. Right. Yeah. And then then later in his life, he becomes so focused on on God that he's not even trying to take credit for the things he, in fact, he's more frustrated. <laughs> he's sort of commiserating with God about how stubborn the people are. You know, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> it's worth noting. You know, in ministry and and specifically the the full time vocational call to ministry, there's some things you see in Moses' encounter that are that are really beneficial in regards to sorting through what is a faithful biblical call. 
from God to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has called us all to to be a thing. Uh, the for those who have believed on the name of Jesus mm-hmm. to be his sons and daughters, and but and he does also call us to do things and to step into acts of obedience all the time. One of the things you'll you'll see is if somebody's going to plan a church or to start a ministry or one of the questions you would ask along the way is like they kind of can sift through the mode. Is this me making this up for me, or is this God really calling me to it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's like God's calling me to start a ministry that is out from under authority, that doesn't really have um, – the, the point of that thing is that more people would hear from me and get more of me and get more of my stuff. And it's a real slippery slope. Does I that make it, sense? Man, I hear so the it's like, where, they, where all the talk is about how about their own giftings. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like Instead here we're going to start a – we're going to start a worship service or a – uh, worship this or a preaching that where we're going to write songs and we're going to sing or we're going to write you know but it's not there's a, it's under no authority really that it's just a you know what I mean and it's like is that is that really did God call you to that or did you just kind of create a thing where you could do what you wanted to do and not really have to worry about answering to anybody because that's the one of the things about Moses we see in chapter four which I don't know how far we're going to get in this conversation but. In chapter 4, God tells Moses to do a thing, and then he goes to his father-in-law and says, I'm under your authority, mm. and asks for permission. Mm-hmm. And God, of course, because God had called it and purposed it for his people, God, had, God aligned hearts. Mm-hmm. But Moses says to Jethro, like, it says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Mm-hmm. He was asking for time off. For sure. There's a lot of calling to me is a very, like, there's it needs to be dug into because people can be like, God's calling me to thing, and so what, that was, what they're trying to do is what they want to do. That was a part of the, um, I don't know what the right word, you know, the Bible says don't test God, but how do you test the spirits to make sure this wasn't my spirit saying, mm-hmm. I had a bunch of t- people telling me, hey, man, you can preach, and we've got your back, and 1122 is going good, and it should be its own thing. Well, one of the things that we did as a team is just lay up. I mean, I was on staff at a Methodist church, and they have a system of authority whereby they make decisions, mm-hmm. which I don't even necessarily agree with biblically, you know. But I didn't mind it when I was getting a paycheck from them. So does that make sense? So I just thought, all right, Lord, if this is if this is not of you, then I guess you'll just shut it down. But if I here's what I know. If I lay it before some other folks, mm-hmm. um, then at least I'll know this is not me just working the system and manufacturing it to get what I want out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and there there is uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of sureness that you can have there mm-hmm. in what God is calling you to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of goes back to last week. You know, if the glory of God is putting attention on him and his otherness, his holiness, then it doesn't sound like something that would put all the attention on you is is really in line with that, you know? For sure. Um, all right, if, so, let me ask you this. If you have to self-promote, hmm. should you do it? That's loaded. Well, so 
here's the the other Old Testament story that I love that I think about when I think about self promote. So Joseph is in jail, and he he starts off much like Moses. He is arrogant with his gift, and he's, he tries to just like you know tell his brothers and his, his parents, "Hey, check out these dreams I'm having." You know the story. He ends up a slave, and then when he's in jail, the baker and the cupbearer are there. And they ask him to interpret the dreams. And when he when he interprets their dreams, he says, "But remember me when you go back to Pharaoh." So I don't know if that is meant to be a negative commentary or not. Like he's still not trusting God. I usually read it as he's trying to he's trying to trust God and say, "Hey, if you if you think about it, help a brother out down here," you know. And eventually, that's. Kind of what does happen, you know what I mean? I'm I don't know if it's the same thing as self. The thing that redeems Joseph in that story is in that event is when Pharaoh says, "I hear you can interpret dreams," and his answer is, "Nope." Right. But the one true God can, right. which is such an insult. Yes. You know, it's so different. So, so he doesn't this. take any credit there. Right. I mean, I I feel you. I when. Uh, when 1122 started and people started inviting me to speak at things, there's a way that you normally do it where you create a press kit mm-hmm. and send it out. And I just decided I'm not doing any of that stuff. And then if if God would have me do it, then he's just going to have to open those doors. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to push that boulder right. uphill. Right. It, there's there's something to that. I, I'll never forget. I'm sitting in the staff meeting, the church I served at before we served at together. Before this, God opened the door to come to 1122. The the lead pastor of the church is he may have actually been talking about Joseph. Funny enough, but he said a line. He's and we've said it here many times that no one can give you what God has not, mm-hmm. and no one can keep you from what God has for you, mm-hmm. except for you. You can disobey God. You can walk without integrity. You can walk out from under authority. You can, and you can miss out on blessings and o- o- opportunities that God would want you to have. But nobody can give you what God hasn't. You can't kick those doors open. You can't. And I just really like whether that's sitting in your boss's office trying to get that promotion or whether that's like anywhere that you, whether that's creating a website to push your thing or to get, or God knows social media. <laughs> like, and the, I mean, friendly Frank here, this is the reason I don't, there's two reasons I don't do social media at all. Like, I don't have any, and I'm not judging people who do. You both do, and that's fine, man. Praise God. I hope he uses it. For me, I just had to, st- I had to get out of the game all the way. One was because, it was producing no fruit in my life. There, it was, there, was, there was nothing that it was doing that was stirring my affections for Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was the opposite. Um, two, is it felt very much to me like my, te- my personal temptation was to like put up pithy statements or to put up the appearance of wisdom to get people to think a thing and then comment on the thing. And that you see what I'm saying? Like it it was a slippery slope for me. And I was like, nah, I'm out, man. So it's interesting. So I made that decision years ago. I will no self-promotion for me. And then now there are teams of people 
Because the thing you could say is, but listen, man, I'm preaching the gospel and I want more people to hear the gospel. And so in order for them to hear it, if I promote me, then more people will hear it. Okay. So, because I had a bunch of people tell me that. To which I went, okay, well, just if that's true, then we'll just let the Lord deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know? If he wants more people to hear it from me, well, then he, he will make a way for that. Well, then guess what? There are many, much ways now where there are lots of promotions with my face on it and all that stuff, and I do zero of it, including my social media. Mm-hmm. You know, like... And you have zero ideas around it, generally. Like, you're not like, hey, you know what y'all need to do on my behalf. <laughs> no, you don't no, even no, have, no. You don't do any I of just it. do the ministry, and then whether it's like promotion for a book or promotion for a conference or it's like take sermon clips to put them out there, it's actually... It's what I surrendered unto the Lord a bunch of years ago, and now other people are, are just see it. I love this part. Oh, wow, that's, a, that's like a tool for the kingdom, and, and that is useful. So I'm like, cool. But there's a lot of freedom because I'm not all wrapped up in, in, in all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, to be clear, I think people can have social media and use social media in a non-self-promoting, selfish way. You know what I mean? I, but I do think... It is what percentage hard? of all of social media do you think is what you are describing right now? Two. <laughs> a very small amount. <laughs> very, I mean, the, the inherent nature of it is look at me. Is look at me. I'm the. I'm, pay attention to me. Yeah. And the people who use it really, really well to say pay attention to Christ, then. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or they use it as a resource to encourage others with actual encouragement, not encourage others with, mm-hmm. this happened to me, be encouraged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just telling you, you got to watch. I'm, that is a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm going to give, it's like, y'all join me in in. Man, I'm just letting it all air out here. So please, but go. It's like, man, y'all join me in praising God for the fact that I just got to speak to 10,000 people at X conference. Or y'all, hey, let's celebrate with me. I just got a huge promotion at work. Like, yeah, man, I, yes. I'm excited for you. Or, you know, like, hey, we're on this bougie vacation or we're at this, like, look at me in front of this. I don't know, man. Anything that starts with look at me. It's hard for me to get my head around. Look at me, look at me, and see so that you can see Jesus. That's a hard thing. I'm not even saying I'm right. I'm not. That's just a hard one for me to get my head around. I forget who it was, but somebody said that when you're, especially when it comes to like, you're, we live at the beach, so sometimes you get this picture of like the Bible and the waves, you know, in the sand, and just like my sweet time with Jesus, you know. And somebody's. Somebody said recently... Hashtag Matthew 5 and 6. Yeah, somebody <laughs> said recently... Literally says don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, it's the same thing as praying loud on the street corner. It's like just blasting it on all your social media. So for me, here, here's what I would say. At minimum for me, it's confusing. And so that one specifically, I just it's not confusing for me anymore because mm. I don't even think about it. Right. Like it's not even something that's on my... So all it back to Moses and Midian and... Yeah. For all the listeners, I truly apologize for hijacking the, the last seven minutes. But. It is interesting, but just think about this this story and Moses in particular. He's sort of the opposite of self-promoting here in this in this passage. I mean, maybe it's because of his insecurity and his, his self-centered, which is a form of pride, like we've said. But 
He's saying, no, 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 don't, don't put me there, don't put me there, don't be, the, don't put me there. And what ends up happening is he becomes the the hero of of the Israel salvation story. Um, so he's forty years a shepherd before this happens. And maybe we could use our imaginations a little bit and think, just like David was a shepherd for all those years, and he learned some skills, and he said, hey, I've learned how to fight bears and lions and stuff, and that prepared him uh, to fight Goliath. Probably with Moses, there were some things that he was doing out there in the wilderness that were teaching him how to survive or how to guide through wilderness pathways, or maybe he knew the territory really well. And Pastor Joby, you say this line that I love, that oftentimes what we think is a punishment is God's season of preparation. Mm-hmm. So what's the season for you that's, in hindsight, you were like, that was preparation for this, but when, it, when you're going through it, you felt like it was just a beatdown. Seminary. <laughs> and I know, the sem- I know a little bit about the seminary you went to. So yeah, that's part of it. I went to the worst seminary. I just didn't know, man. We, I didn't grow up in church. Right. And I moved around. So I didn't, and, and uh, so I'm in Richmond, Virginia, going to VCU, plugged into my local church, had no church background really, mm-hmm. and got saved at a Baptist camp, attended a Baptist church and there was a Baptist seminary in town. I thought, well, I'll go there. And it was all of the people that got fired from the Southern Baptist seminaries for their theology. Right. And they were heretics. Mm. I'm telling you, straight up. Hmm. There was one or two that were not, but I'm telling you, like bodily resurrection, maybe, maybe not. So in a class, I'm like, yep, uh, I don't think when I get to heaven, you're going to be there. Because if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, according to Romans 10, 9, you ain't going. Right. And it was the weirdest thing, man. God wouldn't let me leave. Like mm-hmm. I thought, well, I just need to go to one of the you know more orthodox, solid ones. And then I thought, who would hire? I wouldn't hire me from here. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of like the edginess to my preaching and the... Um, the, I, I can't just say what everybody else says. So I would have to go get permission in seminary that all my papers could be twice as long because I straight up would just say, like, this is the heresy you taught, and then here is Orthodox Christianity and why you're wrong. Mm. But it takes you a lot longer to do that than whatever, you know, the mm-hmm. five pages. So mm-hmm. uh, it taught me a lot how to rightly handle the Word, how to go find information, mm. how to... And I'm also, dude, I'm 20... When you know, twenty-two years old, twenty-one years old, arguing with people in their fifties and sixties with multiple PhDs in mm-hmm. biblical studies and Greek and Hebrew, and I'm trying to tell them how what I think the Bible says is right and what they're saying is wrong. Mm-hmm. It was I had no idea that it was preparing me to write a sermon every week. Mm-hmm. Wow, because one of my big hangups to become a lead pastor was, all right, I know I can entertain students, you know, with enough Bible, but I don't know that I have what it takes to actually just teach the Bible to grown people and disciple them over decades. Mm. So I think a part of your question goes back, it's a little bit different than David's, you know, the David-Moses correlation is how Moses grew up. Mm, yeah. That by God's sovereign hand, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he, he, so he knows the garage code, man. He knows all the customs. He knows how to greet people, what to say. He knows all of that. And then there's a big gap. And then he needs it again when he walks back in before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. So there was a bit of that for me. So seminary, I'm essentially arguing scripture mm-hmm. with people that are more mature and smarter than me mm-hmm. and then launch a church and at 38 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was very, I mean, it was very different, but right. some of those skills, I think, helped me. I'm just thinking of when we got to sit and have dinner with Dr. Moeller, <laughs> oh, you yeah. know, and you were telling him about your seminary. He's like, I can't believe we're sitting here at this table together. <laughs> you know? I know. What about you? Anything you can think of? I think uh, my whole life was preparation mm-hmm. for sure. You know, I, being born into the family that I was born into, my, my brother's a pastor, my dad was a pastor. We make jokes about we were genetically engineered that when we were in our mother's womb, they were shooting in Greek and Hebrew. You know what I mean? And so it's like, uh, ch- church is all I've ever known, mm-hmm. and I love her more than ever. And and I certainly had rebellious stages, and but I would say in regards to really formative, uh, for, formative things that happened in my life in regards to to being the pastoring well and leading well, and and certainly my mom getting sick and dying when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was twelve when she got sick, fourteen when she died. Certainly formational in. Heart, mind, soul, strength, every inch of my life, that was a formational time. And what felt very much like punishment at the time. Um, And many times I believed that it was. Mm -hmm. If I had done this different or said this different or if we had done this or said this or you, you, the, what grief can do in regards to the the web that can start spinning in your mind, um, that certainly was very, very, very formative. Having to deal, having to grieve, like just having to work through that amount of hurt and pain and that environment, and so that was very, very formative. And um, even on the heels of that, you know. I Within a couple of years of that, I'm standing on stages holding microphones and people are sharing the story, you know, of I'm 16 years old giving testimony to these things that have happened. And much of that was straight up just because of who my dad was. It wasn't like people were really interested in hearing from a 16-year-old at the time, you know what I mean? But God was opening these doors for me to start doing that. But even in that, it was very formative because in 16, 17, 18, 20, 22 years old, I'm having to deal, like, work through the, like, applause of man kind of thing. And what they're applauding was my, what it felt like was that people wanted to hear from me or I got, the more pain I could communicate, the more approval I received. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And pain is a thing that people react to. Mm-hmm. And so you can use pain to solicit attention. Mm-hmm. And... And you don't have to do that. You can give authentically the truth of your story in a way that God shows himself 
as the provider and the protector and the healer in a thing. Mm-hmm. Versus, like the point of your story is not the pain. The point of your story is how God used that pain for his glory. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so walking through that, certainly it was very formative. And then when my wife and I first got married, uh, we, we had a great gig going, doing events and traveling around the country. And then we got into church planning a little bit uh, with a large church that decided they wanted to start planting little mini churches all over the place, and and we jumped on to help them, and it failed miserably. Mm. And we failed. I failed. My wife didn't fail. I did. And um, having to deal with that kind of failure in your 20s, we had bought a house and lost tens and tens and tens and thousands of thousands of dollars in our 20s. You know, a hundred grand, I'm sure a hundred grand hurts at any point in time in your life when you lose it. But to lose that kind of money in a house between equity and down payment and all that in your in your twenties, boy, that was tough. On a pastor salary. On a pastor salary broke. We hadn't got paid in six months. We looked at my wife, said no Christmas this year, we ain't got the money. So those were very formative times that were seasons of preparation. Mm-hmm. Um that felt very hard and painful, um, and 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 felt like punishment mm-hmm. for who knows what. I didn't know what I was being punished for, but you you know what I mean. The narrative in your mind is what it is, and I know Moses is walking through some of that. Like he's out in those fields, and he's like, he actually knows he murdered some people, mm-hmm. and so you know what I mean. And so that anyway, those are some preparation things that God's used in my life, and and honestly, now twenty five years, twenty fifteen years removed. I'm so grateful to God for his faithfulness in those seasons. I'm not grateful that some of that stuff happened, but I'm grateful that God was with me in it. And I know in the dark nights now, the stressful times or whatever, like I'm that much more confident that he's he's with me, you know? Yeah, we, much like Moses. That's that's why he goes cuz God's with him. I think it's Larry Osborne who has this teaching about these different lies that we believe, and one of them is that if I behave a certain way, God owes me certain results. And so if that's our underlying belief, you're going through a hard time, and you're thinking, I must have done something wrong, or God's punishing me for something. And it's so often in hindsight, we can look back and see, oh, he's actually preparing and he's redeeming all those experiences. So let's just say there's somebody listening and they're in that season that they don't know how this could possibly be preparation for something. What is comforting to them, or what could they look at in that pattern of God's faithfulness over past and give the, to give them hope for the future? You first and foremost need to always look at the cross, not your circumstances, Amen. because we right. have a tendency to try to define love circumstantially. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, there's a... There's a level of that human to human that makes some sense, right? But God has demonstrated his love for us once and for all, in dot, exclamation point, mm-hmm. that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. You also need to, some of these Old Testament events are helpful to see, like we misquote, people misquote uh, Genesis 50 all the time. What the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. That is not what it says, man. God does not play second fiddle. He's not driving an ambulance. It's not like the enemy made a move and then God said, what am I going to do? Ooh, I can turn this for good. That's not what the Bible says. It says that God meant it for good. That means God meant it. Mm-hmm. So 
whether you're going through pain, whether it's your own sin, it's demonic attack, it's somebody else's sin, it's the fallen world, any and all of those all still have to pass through the hands of God. Mm-hmm. And God is at work in all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 gets misquoted all the time too. In Greek, God is the subject of the sentence, not the things. So the things that God is at work in those things. Mm-hmm. The things aren't working, and then God's somehow trying to like mm. puzzle piece this thing together. Those things matter like crazy. And the ultimate example of that is the cross. Mm-hmm. If you were standing, if we were standing at the foot of the cross, not knowing the resurrection, ascension, and one day return, you would have to think, what are you doing? Have you completely lost control? Mm-hmm. And God would say, no, I'm redeeming the world. Mm-hmm. I am at work right now in the worst thing ever mm-hmm. for the redemption of, of mankind, for whoever would believe. Mm-hmm. And so if he can do that, then surely he can be at work. Mm. So, I mean, I think about one of the most uh, impactful things in my life. My parents went through a divorce when I was mm. in high school, man. It was brutal. It, it's, it just was. It led to my salvation. Hmm. And then a part of what God used in that time, though, is um, I was kind of the other side of that. Like church would accept the pain of the loss of a Christian loved one really warmly. Hmm. They did not accept divorce yeah. very warmly at all in right. the mid-'80s. That's when that happened. And so, and I, like my family wasn't, like I'm just trying to find a church as a teenager with no family connection to a church. And there wasn't really a spot for me. And a lot of the empathy that I have for broken people mm-hmm. is my negative experience at church as a teenager. Mm-hmm. That was weird. Camp was totally different. The camp people did it right. <clears throat> and the church people didn't, man. I mean, how weird is this? My senior year of high school, we went to this Presbyterian church simply because this girl that like worked with the football team's dad was the pastor, and we were all friends with her. And so the football players started going, so that youth group grows to be like a, a, a hundred or something. You know, it was it was awesome. Now we mostly just played games and ate hot dogs and stuff. But <clears throat> they had this little vote. They had like officers in the youth group, which <laughs> is. <laughs> the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. So they do a vote, and I got voted as the youth group president and then told I couldn't take the position because my parents were divorced. Gee. Think about that, bro. I'm 17 years old. I've been a Christian like two, I don't know, less than 24 months. So, so dude, all that sucked. It was terrible. It was so terrible. So when I stand on stage and say, if you've been hurt by the church, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. That is a firsthand experience I am talking about. Yeah. That is not like I've read about this mm-hmm. in articles, mm. you know? Right. Or when when we got people around here that don't just fit. I mean, they just, they didn't grow up in it. They don't know all the right language and the rules and what you, but they just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I God has used those experiences in my life to shape me and hopefully our whole church culture that we are truly a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Hmm. But it goes all the way back there. Hmm. I love that. Moses. So Moses gives, you outline these five excuses that he gives. And it's 
uh, what if I don't have it, what, it, what it takes? What if they don't believe me? Uh, they still won't believe me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. It. I'm not good at this. And basically, just I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and all those, I think, as we've talked about, are based in his his fear. Um, but you mentioned how how patient it is that God. D- only on number five does he say he gets a little angry. His anger Stirred. is kindled. Yes. Uh, where have you seen God demonstrate that kind of patience with with you and your excuses? Oh my goodness. I mean, I tell the story of the kid, the third baseman, scooping up the <laughs> sand with his hat because I really, God brings that picture because that is me, man. I, um, but my problem, I don't give God, I don't think I give God a lot of excuses. Mm. I'm on the other end of that. I do not demonstrate the patience of God, mm. um, which is just as bad. I told you this one time early on. You're real. You're one of the smartest church people I've ever been around in my entire life about leadership and vision and strategy and you just do stuff and it goes real good. And uh, you had some people working directly for you and they were frustrating the life out of you. And the only reason I could see it is because I too have dwelt in that cave where I'm just so frustrated with everybody around me. Because dude, you want to drive, you want to stir me to anger? Give me an excuse. Mm. God took five Half of one begins to come my way, and I'm like, give me the keys. I can do it. Don't don't worry about it, okay? And I looked at you and said, bro, if an Olympic runner just looks at somebody trying to keep up and screams, run faster, it won't help. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, and, and honestly, you've grown a ton in that over the bunch of years without dumbing you down. That's the hard part, right? And I think God knows exactly who he's working with. Mm-hmm. Like he's not surprised by Moses. He made him and formed him and picked mm-hmm. him and raised him in it. And then he has to like coax him along. Mm-hmm. To, and, and his answer every single time is himself. And then I love it when he just eventually just goes, what's in your hand? Mm-hmm. Like let me just use the thing. Mm-hmm. And think about this. He's holding the staff. This is a picture of his sin and shame. Because he ought to be holding like a scepter because he grew up in the Pharaoh's house. But he got in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take the thing that is your biggest excuse. I'm going to take the thing you're most ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use that to display my power for my purposes. Mm -hmm. And I love you so much, I'm going to let you be a part of it. Mm Kind of reminds me of Peter. Peter always gets in trouble for his mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like on the day of Pentecost, God looks at Peter and goes, what's in your hand? He's like, it's my mouth. This is what I'm always doing. He goes, do it one more time. And he preaches literally the first church sermon in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not attractional by, <laughs> any, by any means. No, no, no. no sure. Can you think of anything, uh, how God's patient with you? Yeah, I mean, just like, just like he said, I mean, I, I certainly don't. I'm trying and praying and hoping to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, of which one is patience. And Yeah, I don't pray for patience. I pray people hurry up. Man, there's this really interesting language in um, 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul talks about it in Romans, about being at peace among yourselves. And I'm not mm-hmm. normally. I, I'm, I am underneath the surface. I'm humming on 
We used to be nine. It's about a six or seven generally now where it's like an anxiety and future projection of what might happen that creeps up into worry to it's not enough, it's not fast enough, it's not going well enough, it's not being executed at a high enough level. Um, you know, it's not not enough in like the sense of growth because that does truly belong to the Lord, whether it's church growth or financial growth or uh, in my own life mm-hmm. or the growth of my children. Like we're trying to create an environment, but ultimately that most of that belongs to the you know the Lord, if not all of it belongs to the Lord. But it's more like just the day to day. Like we can we can accomplish more. We can. Does that make sense? So underneath the surface, there's a there's a spirit of just it's not enough. It's not good enough. Um, I'm really, really hard on myself. I always have been. I'm very hard on myself, hmm. and and I'm and so that's a that's a thing that I found the Lord. He is just he's so kind and he's so gracious and his tone of voice is kind. Romans two four is one of my favorite verses. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Hmm. It says, do you not presume? Do you presume upon the riches of His grace? And did you not know that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance? Mm-hmm. And it's not God's frustration with me, or God doesn't look at me and say, "It's not enough. It's not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not." You know what I mean? He yeah. He looks at me and says, "I am enough, and I have done the work." Mm-hmm. Welcome in to the joy of your master. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and believing the gospel that way, God's been very patient with me over the years. And uh, I woke up one day, a few years back now, and this has been something. I woke up one day and I look around my life, and I'm I'm my family's uh, spiritually and emotionally healthy. I mean, we have our moments for sure, but God's been good to us. Things are good. God's. I'm a part of a thing that God's using to reach people and to change lives and make disciples. And I just thought, I was like, if is there anything in my life that I want that I don't have, much less need? I'm not driven by money or success or fame. Like, those are just not big temptations in my life. I mean, knock on wood, anything could happen, but that's just not really a th- You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I just remember in that moment, like thinking, both circ- even if my circumstances were brutal, which they have been at many different times in my life, God was more than enough in those moments. But those moments, it's like forced dependency, and you can get go to this place where you're like, God's sovereign, minute by minute, hour by hour. It's being content in the Lord in the seasons of contentment. You know what I mean? Things are going good. That says as much about what God's doing in your life as when things are going bad. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. The the don't pay attention to your circumstances can swing way too far the other way, and you not be grateful for every good and perfect gift that He gives you. You know, I mean, right? Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, one of the things you know I talked about Bradley a lot, and uh, there, this, these passages that actually the line in here, what's that in your hand, was a really powerful line in his life in order in regards to like, what's the next thing? So mm-hmm. I meet Brad in like 08. He, dude, his whole life is just, it's just messed up. He's, he was an awesome dude, but he's attending our church. He gets saved, goes on a mission trip with me. His business is belly up. 
his house is if they didn't have so many to foreclose, I think his would have been gone. I need I I bring him on a mission trip to help me build stuff in Jamaica because I don't I've totally overcommitted. Like I'm telling these people, oh, we can build that, we can build that, and I don't. What am I going to do? So anyway, he comes, saves the day. He puts his faith in Christ. I baptize him. He comes on staff with the church when we plant because he thought the next thing, the godliest thing is staff at church. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people can get in that. For sure. So so he's he's running our facilities here. And he did a fine job. And he was like he was like David in Saul's armor. Mm-hmm. And he realized that when God says, "What's that in your hand?" It was a general contractor's license. Mm-hmm. And so it was the call of Moses that helped him. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked through it. And then he went and reopened, you know, Bradbone and Construction and built all of our churches. Mm. And um, mm. so the next thing, part of what I love here about Moses is that that question, mm. because God's put a thing in our hand. For, and the thing is, is we'll just surrender it to him, mm-hmm. whether it's our sin and shame like the staff or some kind of skill like Brad, like a hammer and a, you know, GC license, or it's an ability to preach and teach or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. The thing that Moses does with great trepidation is he does surrender it unto the Lord, and God uses it in a way that far exceeds anything that Moses could ever comprehend. I think Bradley would just say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how it works in heaven, obviously, but I, there's a piece of me that wants to believe based on this is not me just making stuff up. Paul says, now we see through a glass dimly, then we will see clearly and completely. Mm-hmm. And you recognize tribe, tongue, nation, right? Mm-hmm. What if a part of the crowns we put down at the feet of Jesus, mm-hmm. what if a, the reward, I mean, what's the, what's the reward in heaven, a mansion? Mm-hmm. Like what is, if somebody offered me a bigger house right now, I'm like you, I'd be like, me. Eh? So if I'm living in eternity, extra bedrooms are going to matter? That can't mean what that, that's got to be, it's got to, that's just got to be this tiny little picture. But what if God allowed you to see in a complete God-glorifying way mm-hmm. how when you surrendered that thing in your hand and then you look around at the generations of people mm-hmm. that are populated heaven, yeah. and to the glory of God, he let you see the part that he allowed you to play, and then you brought that back to him. Mm-hmm. I can't think of like a – and I know, man, we're real finite, so, it, so it's even going to be better than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think one day – or right now, maybe, however it works, maybe he, he would get to see – that hmm. um, what uh, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier the um, Jethro's commissioning to him I think Jethro might be one of the most uh, underrated figures because of well this instance obviously blesses Moses as he goes out and then gives him his leadership advice so maybe we'll close with this who is somebody who you're grateful for that commissioned you into the next thing at a key moment in your life when God was calling you? Quite a few. I mean, certainly the most significant is Pastor Joby when he invited me to be on the team here and uh, of, of of the last decade for sure, mm-hmm. um, of which I'm very grateful for. But all along the way, you know, my dad was very intentional mm. uh, in regards to raising us to think and to believe certain things 
about the gospel and the church and ourselves. Um, but even after that, there's a few guys. Wade Morris mm. grabbed me up when I was real young. Mm. We're holding the Bible, preaching to anybody that would listen. Uh, he was an evangelist, an itinerant evangelist that traveled around preaching and leading folks to Jesus. And I started traveling around with him. And, and, and he mentored uh, you, right? He mentored me for years. A lot of our folks won't know this, but it was at a Wade Morris sermon. He was doing a disciple now when I was volunteering at my my college church. Right. And he was preaching when I surrendered to go into full-time ministry. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, we didn't know each other at all then. Nope. I, I would have been... I would have been in middle school probably at that <laughs> yeah, point in time. Yeah. No offense. You'd be one of my kids. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and so Wade Morris, for sure, a guy named Roger Davis came along and, and uh, he ran a camp ministry. And I was 23 years old, and he hands me 25 college students. It's like my first real leadership post. I had led some things during the summer, but that was a different a kind of trust, a different kind of empowerment. I'm like five minutes older than all these people that I'm now right. trusted to lead. And teach the Bible to and make decisions all day, every day. And so that Roger, for sure. A um, couple of guys, Mark Eichen and Dan Ryland uh, at 12 Stone Church, uh, I think they saved. God used them to save ministry. I was pretty beat up after the failures I mentioned earlier. Mm. I was tired and done and thinking about going into the marketplace, which would have been fine had God been calling me there. Mm -hmm. But I was running there. Mm. And I was just trying to retreat Versus to be faithful, mm -hmm. and um, Iken and Dan Ryland came along at the right time, and so lot, lot, God's used people significantly in my life mm -hmm. in that way, and I'm very grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, man, I'll start with my dad. I mean, I know a lot of our folks know that you know he he's it's not like I grew up in church and any of that, but the way he fathered me and my brother Russ. There was a lot of confidence instilled. There was a lot of this This is what Martins do, and whatever you do, you better do it to the best of your ability. He didn't say to the glory of God, but just mm -hmm. to the, do it to the best. And the whole, like, you know, anything you put your mind to, he trained me a lot in that. We didn't bring excuses. We got things done. Right. Um, and even when I when I told him I wasn't going to med school, but I was going to seminary, and uh, he first said, well, what's seminary? And I was like, well, it's like preacher school. And he said, why do you need a school for that? You only work half a day a week and you study one book. <laughs> so, But he's always got those little like funny things. Funny. But then he said, well, boy, you don't get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work. And so so things like work ethic, but also the just, man, the words of a father over their son hmm. are so powerful. I know so many Christian young men raised by Christian dads that were beat down by this mm. and don't know the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. And my dad, who at that point wasn't walking with the Lord, mm. didn't talk to us that way. And my brother and I are, you know, Russ is a deacon in our church and I do this. And so mm -hmm. he would, that's where it started. Obviously, Coach Bully, man, I mean, everybody know, everybody at church knows about him. Just saw things in me I never dreamed or saw in myself. I talked about that crummy seminary I went to, uh, Dr. Bill Ross came and hired me out of there. And thankfully, he could see through the fray. Mm. And then, obviously, Dr. Jerry Sweat, uh, Dr. Pastor Jerry Sweat, and all of Beach Church, man. Mm. Like, when we got here, we were coming out of a pretty rough time. Um, 
And that church just really loved us well. And But it was under Pastor Jerry's leadership. And he was the guy that when I gave excuses, mm. he, he was kind of like, on behalf of the Lord, what's that in your hand? Mm-hmm. Like, you you can do this, and God will be with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm your authority, and you have my blessing. I, there's no doubt in my mind that somehow the reason that we are sitting in the blessing that God has for us right now mm-hmm. is because the authority that we were under when we were a service mm-hmm. put a blessing on us. Yeah. And it does something in the heavenlies that I'm not fully aware of, mm-hmm. and, and we are beneficiaries of that because of their generosity, because of their humility, mm-hmm. because of their faithfulness, because of their kingdom-mindedness. And uh, it's one that everybody thinks they're kingdom-minded, man. They were, they were kingdom-active. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll, I'll be forever grateful. Mm-hmm. We were talking a lot about self-promotion earlier, and it struck me that it's really a unbelief in God's patience and God's timing. You know, it's a fear of missing out, so I've got to take it into my own hands, and I've got to go around the authority structures that he's put in place. And, uh, man, it's my prayer that we'd be the kind of people who would, who would trust him and wait, wait on him. Yeah, Matt, uh, Matthew 20, man, when, when the boys go try to be right and left of Jesus, senior VP of Jesus Incorporated. And, um, I mean, Jesus just straight out says, this is one of the scary verses to me, where he says, you know, the Gentiles lord their authority over one another. Mm -hmm. In other words, they self-promote, they fight for position. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, it shall not be so among you. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to think, so, all right, so everything Jesus says is all the way true. So that means if you try to jockey for position and lord that authority and I got this, then God, it shall not be so. Mm-hmm. So something's going to – God is going to change something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we're in Florida, and so there's kind of a big storm happening lately, and so would you pray for those people and um, just pray for our church and anybody listening you know, to be able to – not be afraid, not be wrapped up in insecurity, but to say, all right, you're going to speak through me, you're going to lead me, and may God be glorified. I'd be happy to. Let's pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so gracious. Uh, Lord, we do pray for all the folks that were impacted by the hurricane. Lord, we pray that that even through that, Lord, people would see how big and mighty you are. Mm-hmm. And also be reminded that, that when sin entered the world, it held the door open for chaos and catastrophe. But Jesus, you came, and one day you will make all things new, that there will be a day where you wipe away every tear and uh, there'll be no more hurricanes. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this for your glory, mm-hmm. that the church would rise up and that we'd serve like crazy when, when people would wonder why it would be a demonstration of the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray for every single person listening or watching. Lord, I pray that they would have such an encounter with you. It would be undeniable, as undeniable as you speaking through the burning bush. Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves on holy ground and you would speak clearly and authoritatively to us on what the next thing for us to do. Mm -hmm. And it might be easy, it might be hard, but it wouldn't matter because you are with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.